It's good to be here this morning on really a, a very special day. An exciting time of, of calling out one of our own, recognizing God's hand on one of our own, and, and sending Fred and Cinda to the missions field, to ministry. And so it's always bittersweet as we do this. We've sent several people out in the last couple of years, and it's, it's hard to see family go, but the bigger picture of what God is doing through them is an amazing thing to grasp and to hold on to and to observe. This morning for our time together, we'll be ordaining Fred and commissioning Fred and Cinda to ministry. And so this morning will be, it will look a little different because at first I want to talk about what is ordination? What is this thing that we, we've done the last few days and the, all this interrogation and grilling and skewering of Fred and, and, and as much fun as that was, <laughs> what, what was the purpose of that? Why this special thing called ordination? Last week we talked about calling, and we talked about different uses of the word calling. And we know that we are all called that are believers to salvation. And we know that believers then have a calling to work for God, to serve God, to minister for God. And so this morning, in some ways, is about all of our calling. But this morning also is recognizing that God places His hand on certain individuals for full-time ministry. And He plucks them out of everyday life. And He plucks them out of their normal routines and says, I want you to serve me with your vocation, with your life, with everything. And we all serve God, but there is a special place that Scripture has for those that are called to lead and those that are called to ministry. And so that's why we're here this morning, to ordain Fred and to commission Fred and Cinda to ministry. In 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, Paul writes, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We talked about that verse last week, but the, the key for this morning is the laying on of hands represented a commissioning and ordaining to ministry. It represented vesting authority and recognizing that God had done something in this individual's life, and we as a church are able to recognize that. And Paul's instruction to Timothy was, don't neglect that. Fan that into flame. Use that. And so we... we it is a sacred thing and an honorable thing to recognize God's call. Ordination simply is a public recognition of God's call on a man for vocational ministry. It's a public recognition that God has said, Fred, you are to be a minister of the gospel. With every moment of your day, you are to be a minister of the gospel. And so today we are going to ordain Fred. Fred's been through the gauntlet this week. You know, we joke about it and um, the elders have met with him privately and he had to um, submit a number of documents. And then yesterday we had a public council and a public questioning and skewering. And it was um, wonderful to be able to talk about those deeper things, to talk about doctrine, to talk about ministry, to hear your testimony. And it's important for ordination to go through those steps Paul also says to Timothy, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Don't just go around ordaining everyone and commissioning everyone and giving everyone the authority of being in ministry. The recognition, the support of being in ministry. 
It goes on to say, nor take part in the sins of others. Saying that basically, if we just put people into ministry, put people into leadership in those positions without checking, without testing, without examining, then we are participating in their sins because we are not protecting the flock. So that's why we've done what we've done this week. We know Fred. We've known Fred for a long time. But it was important to go through this process. The public recognition of today is important. When they're a year or two down and, and it hasn't, the sun hasn't come out in Washington for two months and they're wondering why or if God has really called them there, my prayer is that they remember today. And they remember a church family and a congregation that said, we recognize God's call on your lives. And that this becomes a stone, a marker that they can always look back on and see God's hand, God's sovereign hand at work. This isn't us giving them authority. It's us as a church family and a body recognizing God's call and God's hand. And so this is important. It's important to set apart a man that is gifted and called to serve the body, to recognize what God is doing. And it's important for us to support them. To confirm a calling today, but then to go on and support them in the weeks and years to come. To not forget them. And to remember that they are part of us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6, I think it's a great passage to start this morning with. It tells us why Fred and Cinda are being called out. Why in their hearts... They, they have said, we feel called by God to go. And let me read 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul here is defending his ministry and he's saying, the whole reason I'm in ministry, it's not for me. It's not for anything I gain. I want to show people the light of Jesus Christ. If it comes down to it, and I know you've expressed that, when it comes down to it, why being called? Why ordained? To show people who Jesus Christ is. To show people, as it says, that He is Lord. He is Master of all. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. That He is God Almighty. In the flesh. Not a created being, but He has been, is, and always will be God Almighty. And in fact, unless we understand that, there is no salvation. Because He's not great enough to secure salvation for all. Jesus is God and Lord and Master. And He is the answer for what our community needs, for what Indicott needs, for what this world needs. Because God Almighty came in the flesh was born by the Virgin Mary and lived a perfect life and died on the cross in our place as God took God's wrath in our place and then rose again on the third day showing victory over death. And we know the gospel and some of you maybe haven't heard that before but that's why we're here. That's why the hoopla. That's why we go through ordination. And I know that's near and dear to your hearts. And so today, I want to share two things before we bring you up and ordain you. Two two sets of thoughts, not just two points. Some of you are like, all right. Um, I want to talk to Fred. 
And I want to give Fred a charge for ordination. And then I want to talk to the congregation and say, okay, how do we as a congregation send them and what do we need to keep in mind? My prayer is that none of this is new to us, but a reminder. And it's good to be reminded, isn't it? Of things we should know, of things we should study, of things that we should do. And so, Fred, my thoughts to you come out of First Peter. I know a favorite book of yours, a book you have spent much time in. So I, I felt it was an appropriate place to just remind you of some things, to, to urge you to keep some things in mind that Peter is sharing with the elders there. And in this case, the elders, the, the pastors were part of the elders. These were the spiritual leaders of the church. And so in First Peter chapter 5, we just have a few thoughts that I want to leave you quickly this morning. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you, and he's teaching churches how to lead and how to be spiritual leaders, teaching elders in this case, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And right from the start, we see Peter's humility. He doesn't say, as your authority and as your boss and as someone that you have to do what I say. Do you catch how he describes himself? A fellow elder. A little bit later in that verse, a partaker in God's glory. Again, that has the idea of coming together and a partner with you. And so we see his humility. He even brings up Christ's suffering, which was the scene of his greatest failure. Remember, Peter denied Christ three times, but then on that beach was restored by Christ. As Christ said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. So Peter here is coming as a humble fellow elder bringing up the gospel, the sufferings of Christ, the glory that comes for those that will believe and give their hearts to God. And then he goes to some instructions. Just five quick things to remember this morning. Verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. We'll stop there. We'll, we'll get the next phrases after that. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. My first encouragement to you, and I know you know this and have been practicing this, it's God's flock. Care for it well. It's God's flock. Care for it well. Think about that for a minute. You are being given a responsibility over God's precious children. That gives me chills. Gives me chills to to see how serious that is. To, To even think that God Almighty would let a man do that. And would use a man in that way. And that kind of reverence is how we come to ministry. We're simply under shepherds, under the chief shepherd. We're not the chief shepherd. And so we're to shepherd God's flock by caring for them. A shepherd cares for the flock. He loves the flock. A shepherd cares for his sheep. Takes care of the the broken legs and the wounds and the cuts and the scratches. A shepherd helps the sheep find food. Because sheep on their own will just eat their way out of food and just sit there and starve. But someone needs to guide them. And so a shepherd feeds and guides people to God's word. Accurately preach God's word. A shepherd is selfless because he protects the flock. A bear comes. He doesn't go to the biggest sheep. Okay, you take them. Who, Who takes on the bear? The shepherd. There's protection of the flock. And so remember, it's God's flock. Care for it well. Take that responsibility seriously. Think about 
I, I can remember when, when my father got his truck and it was new and, and it was just sparkling and I needed to borrow a truck. And I remember getting in the truck and thinking, if I crash this, I am out of the family history. I'm, I, who knows? I'm dead. And, and you can bet that I drove very carefully. And not that I don't always drive carefully, but in your own car, isn't it a little different? You, you just get comfortable with driving. You don't think about it. But when it's someone else's, you think about it because someone else has placed you as a steward of something that is theirs. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock. This affects how you spend your time. It affects your motivations. It affects whether or not you do what you want to do or whether you do what will help the sheep. And so exercise oversight by remembering it's God's flock. Peter goes on then to give three different um, comparisons with a negative and a positive. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. And he really hits the three major pitfalls of ministry in the, in the next few statements. And they're quick, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time on them, but just remember them. Three major pitfalls of ministry, duty, greed, and power. Duty, greed, and power. Calvin said these are the three main vices of leadership. Sloth, he said, which duty can, can lead to sloth. Duty or sloth, desire for gain, lust for power. And so the first one that we see in verse 2 as we read on is exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. And so the second thing to remember is enjoy ministry. Don't make it a chore. Enjoy ministry. Be willing to do ministry. Don't make it a chore. See, Peter says it's not out of compulsion. It's not because you have to. To use a, a military terminology, it's not, well, i got to go, I'm drafted. And you begrudgingly go. Not a lot of people that are drafted against their will really like going, right? Well, if we view ministry in that way, well, God's called me, so I have to go. I, I don't have any other choice. If we view ministry, do you think people notice that? Absolutely. Because if we minister out of duty, it's impossible to minister out of love. And so Fred, minister out of love. Minister because you, you care about those people, because you want to minister, not because it's begrudging service. Now, this would have spoken to the elders because in America, it's, it's not that hard to lead in terms of persecution. But in this time, who got it first in the church when the soldiers stormed in? The elders, the pastors. And so to say lead willingly, not under compulsion, it's like, wait a minute, you're calling me to die first. To be arrested first. To be beaten first. But Peter says, no, do it willingly. Because you love the people. Now that doesn't mean at times we don't do something because it's our responsibility. We absolutely do. But it means we're responsible for our attitudes and making sure our attitudes are doing it for the right reason. C.S. Lewis said, a perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love of God and other people, like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need a crutch at times, but of course it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs can do the journey on their own. 
And so there are times we do things out of a sense of responsibility, but always coming back to willingly loving the people. Third thing to remember, the next statement there, shepherd not for what you can get, but for what you can give. Shepherd not for what you can get, but for what you can give. Greed of money or power or authority or recognition is never a reason to minister. And it will always stifle ministry. If we read on in 1 Peter 5 there, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. And then the next set of of comparisons, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And that eager is, is being eager to serve, serving freely, serving willingly. Same idea as what Peter has just said in the one before. But they, they again would have understood this. Because you know there were traveling preachers that would go around. Weren't necessarily committed to scripture. They were committed to money. And they would go into a town and you would preach and have meetings and tell you got as much money as you felt you could. And then you'd say, see ya, forget about those people, move on to the next town. So that's what people were, were used to. And so Peter here is setting up a whole new paradigm of ministry that basically was saying, go love the people and stay there. And don't do it for money. When their money runs out, guess what? Love them more. Feed them more. Preach more. That's powerful. Shepherd not for what you can get, but what you can give. People don't always understand that today. Even today, people are like, what? You're, you're doing that as a pastor? You're, no, 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 you're, you're the head guy. You shouldn't have to do that anymore. You shouldn't have to plunge toilets or sweep. And That's what a servant does. That's what a pastor does. Because he's caring for the people he, he loves. And looking for what he can give, not for what he can get. Part of that is interruptions. And your ministry is going to be full of interruptions. In fact, that sort of defines ministry in Endicott, doesn't it? And to think of interruptions not as interruptions, not as something that is stopping my plans or what I want to do, but always viewing interruptions as a God-given divine appointment. Because you're going to have divine appointments on tractors and coffee shops, probably in the, in the barn and wherever. And those will be divine appointments. Take advantage of those. Fourth point that Peter makes here is shepherd by a servant's example, not by power. Shepherd by a servant's example, not by power. In verse 3, he goes on to say, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so he's saying, don't lord it over people. Don't rule by authority. And see, we're used with little kids, that's how you bring them along. You, you say, I'm, I'm the parent, you do this. But what's amazing is with adults, that doesn't work. That doesn't train them. You can get people to do what you want. You can forcibly get them to do what you want by, by using position, but it doesn't change them. It changes a little bit of behavior, but it doesn't change their heart. And the only way to change hearts is by showing them what it means to love Jesus and to follow Jesus with your example with your life, because then they become convinced. And then they change their minds and their hearts, not just their actions. And you know discipleship is about changing hearts. And that will change actions, but it's about changing hearts for God. Shepherd by a servant's example, not by power. 
the result. Peter goes on to give the result there, which is, you know, he's given all these things you have to sacrifice, give up, think about others, no gain, but there is a gain. There's an eternal gain. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And praise God, in eternity there's a victor's reward for those that serve well and those that serve him. And a temporary sacrifice here to minister, to reach those people of Endicott will have a permanent reward as you see them in heaven with you. And you put your arm around them and say, Brother, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Finally, last thought from this passage to you as as one being ordained to ministry. If we read on in in verse 5 and 6, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. And then he says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Nobody's off the hook. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. And so the last message from Peter is to stay humble. Stay humble. Remember that this is God's flock. Remember that we are under shepherds, but to not let anything boost our own esteem of ourselves, but that we see ourselves through God's eyes. You know, we, we, we talked about doing something that humbles you. For me, sometimes that's playing golf. And, and that's just the most humbling experience, unless your goal is to see every inch of the course. <laughs> Do things that humble you. Plunge toilets. Help somebody clean out their septic tank. Do things that nobody else would do because we're reminding ourselves that we are servants. So five things from Peter to remember as you go into ministry. But to the congregation, we today aren't just ordaining Fred to pastoral ministry, we are sending Fred and Cinda out into the missions field. We are sending them on on our behalf as part of our family to... a rural area of Washington. And so what does that mean for us? Does it mean we pray today and say and have lunch together and say, have a good time, send us an update in a year? Is that good enough for you guys? No. Not what you guys are looking for. And so my challenge to us as a congregation is to send well. To send well. And there's two aspects of that that I urge you to think about this morning. The first is in Acts chapter 13, and we see a picture of the church sending out Paul and Barnabas to the missions field. And we've read this before, and we need to keep reading it. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And you see, the church is setting apart what God has already done, what God has called. And so we are setting them apart for what we see God doing in their lives. And then catch verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. First way to send well is we need to be serious prayers. Seriously praying for them. It's one thing to pray. To fast and pray means that they stopped doing everything else. They stopped preparing meals. They stopped eating so they could focus on prayer. That is the kind of prayer support that they are going to need. When any troops go in, cover support's nice, right? 
essential, I, w- I would say, if you're going into enemy territory. They are going into a dark territory that needs Christ. Our job is cover support, is to cover them with prayer. And so I would urge you, in your worship folders, we put prayer cards in every worship folder this morning. Take that, put that somewhere where you will see that every day. And every day, commit to praying for them. And I would, I would encourage you to do more than just, oh God, please help Fred and Cinda. Okay, wish that car would move if you're praying in the car. But to think about where they're at and say, Lord, help Fred to be able to meet someone on a farm today. Help, help Fred this morning as he talks in the coffee shop. Help Cinda today as she goes to knitting club and, and, and knits with some of the ladies of actually two towns, not just one. Pray specifically. Pray for Fred on Sunday morning when you're coming here. Say, Lord God, please be with Fred as he delivers the gospel and the word this morning. Don't discount the power of prayer. We are at war. We are at spiritual war. John Piper said, we cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. We cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. And so many times we forget that prayer is talking to our commanding officer and it's a battlefield cry for help. It's not a resort call to the front desk asking for comfort. Pray for them because they are in a spiritual battle. The missionaries in the New Testament got that. Let me just read a couple of these verses. Ephesians six eighteen. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayers for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, pray for me. Pray for me that I will be bold in presenting the gospel. In Colossians, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. In 1 Thessalonians, brothers, pray for us. In Hebrews, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring desiring to act honorably in all things. In 2 Thessalonians, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as is happening among you. Do you get a trend there? Pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. And I know that's on their hearts today. Do you want our prayers? Do you cherish our prayers? Pray for them. Second way that we will send them well is to partner in every way with them. To partner with them. In 3 John, verse 5, 5 through 8, John is talking about again sending people on their way. And it says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, traveling missionaries that are coming through, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Catch that phrase? You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner, what did it say? Worthy of God. This is a holy calling, how we send them on their way. This is a spiritual act. goes on to say, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, which we talked about, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That we may be partners for the truth. You and I may not be going to Endicott, but we're going to Endicott. That makes sense? Because we're partnering 
with two of our own that are physically going. And so we see God's Word say to, to partner with them in every way. And there's two ways we'll partner with them. One is to love and encourage them. We saw the church placing hands on them, on, on Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to do that with Fred and Cinda in a moment here. But by doing that, we're saying you are going with our love, with our authority, with our partnership. You are not alone. You are us. Encouraging and sending well, supporting people means far more than, than just sending money. It includes support, but it includes things like praying for them, which we mentioned, sending them emails. I happen to know that Cinda's on Facebook sometimes. <laughs> and you can send her something on Facebook. Send them a video. They even mentioned the Skype word yesterday. And so they will have internet where they're going. Contact them. Talk to them. Love them. One of the great things about where they're going is it's actually pretty easy to visit. And from what I hear, their house is big enough to to house you if you come. (laughs) And I know they'd love to. What would that do for them to visit them? To encourage them in that way? How will you encourage them? How will you love them? How will you partner with them? In that third John passage, it says to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God and to support people like these. And that's support in every way. In encouragement, many of you are financially supporting them and it includes that. When people would send someone on their journey, in that time they didn't have a 7-Eleven on every corner and a Starbucks right across the street from it. They actually had to take supplies to make it to the next town. And depending on where you were, some areas were just so desolate that if you didn't take supplies, you died. And so to say, send them on their way with everything they need, that meant something. And so we need to send them with everything they need. I encourage you to some of you to come out tomorrow morning, help them pack. Is that still okay to say? (laughs) Help them pack to make sure that they are supported with everything they need and don't have to worry about it. Because I want their concern to be on how to share the gospel and love the people. That's how we'll support them. So I encourage you, sending is a faithful commitment to pray, to encourage, to support. Let's not let them down. Let's not abandon what God has called us to do. Um, Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a great desire to tell your story, to be lights for you, to proclaim Jesus Christ to everyone we meet. We pray for Fred and Cinda, that they would do just that as they go north, and that you would use them mightily for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.